we talk a lot in business and especially in RevCycle about numbers, right? And metrics. But in the end, I, I can make that correlation between, you know, hey, yeah, it's a number, but how does that impact a child with autism to allow them to reach all their goals and dreams? Each and every day across the country, there are thousands of incredible Centria technicians and clinicians providing ABA therapy to individuals with autism. And this show is about telling their stories and the stories of our tireless staff that support this powerful mission. I'm your host, Timothy Yeager, and this is the Do Wonders Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This week, you get to meet Tom Cattell, Vice President of Rev Cycle Integration. And one of the awesome things about working at Centria Healthcare is the amount of people that make this company run. You know, we talk about our technicians and we talk about our clinicians, but behind all those, behind the scenes, there's a, a team of people that work hard every single day to support our great mission. And Tom is one of those guys. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you, Tom, for joining yeah, me. Thank you, Timothy. Introduce who you are to our listeners and, and maybe the roles that you've had along this way at Centria. Sure. No, thank you very much for this opportunity. I heard that this was happening and was really excited to participate as I think it's always good for everybody to learn like what each person's role is and how it like integrates with the organization. So I'm more than happy to do that. As you stated, I've been with Centria uh, for a little over three years. My you know, anniversary was back in May 17th, to be specific. When I came to Centria, um, I was brought in specifically to work with what was known as our talent client service managers. So they were the ones that helped our behavior technicians through our onboarding process. I started with that group at the time. There was, I think, seven individuals. And that team grew as our organization worked on, you know, there was a time here at Centria, you know, whether it's believable or not, but we didn't really have an idea of how many behavior technicians we had onboarding in different areas and where they were at in the process and you know what they still had to complete. And that was like a huge focus for us is really to dial in on that because ultimately that drove the ability to service more clients and have a better idea of the staff you know, coming through the pipeline and, and feeding that to, at the time, the client service manager group that was really managing that process. So um, started there and within a few months working with that team, realized, you know, really the close synergies for that onboarding team with our behavior technician recruiting team. They were just kind of directly involved, obviously being fed by that group to the, the staff that was onboarding and started to work with the recruiting team pretty quickly and really tried to tighten the cohesion and collaborativeness between those two groups did that for some time. And then again, kind of realized that, hey, you know, not only do we have to find people, onboard them, but we really have to make sure that all of those things that they do initially to be compliant so they can work with us. There was another group that was doing that. So quickly kind of assumed a leadership role with, with all three teams, but really became kind of a specialist in regards to our behavior technician group 
and you know at at one time was you know managing about 65 people here in the organization all dealing with you know the behavior technician role a little over a year ago i transitioned over to our ref cycle team my specialty within the team is really vendor integration so realizing that you know maybe we don't know how to do everything really well so how can we partner with uh, vendors that might know how to do things really well I work a lot with payers um, from a billing perspective. You know, we have our payer relations team, which is outside of RevCycle, you know, specifically related to the billing aspects of those payer relationships. I do that. And and as I mentioned before, like just a lot of project, most recently the implementation of our family financial navigation team. And now a lot of my focus is really drawn towards our new uh, CareConnect system, the implementation of that system, as well as uh, managing the family education and patient services team. So always a lot going on. That's not never, you know, uh, been a shortcoming of Centria, but especially for me. And uh, that's a little bit about myself and my past. Thank you for sharing all that. I, I think I learned quite a bit through that. One thing that's really dawned on me at Centria and, you know, may not be the same for other like ABA organizations, especially your smaller organizations, is the amount of non-clinical people that are needed to make an organization successful. If I had to like go back some time, at once I was a clinical director and I ran a center and I oversaw you know, all these different components and the clinical side of it. And the only thing that I really enjoyed was the clinical side of it. And so being able to find and work alongside people like yourself that are you know, passionate in that work and actually can you know, excel and, and do a great job that supports our clinical like mission, I think adds a lot of value organization. Sure. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I think that's one thing that I found. So I've now worked in healthcare for about 17 years and I've never been someone, you know, on the front line as like on the clinical side, but I've always been very passionate about really owning the role of, you know, what can I do to make the clinical role easier or complement the clinical role so it doesn't create other issues. For example, you know, in my current role, like making sure that the our patients have a really good understanding of their bills and their out-of-pocket expenses. If that doesn't go well, it, it could fall back on the clinician who's really trying to formulate a relationship clinically and, and provide the services that our, you know, our clients need. My team, while not directly involved, really can help with you know, making sure that that process is very smooth, drive clinical excellence, because that's something that then Timothy, like a uh, you know, someone like yourself or a clinical director or a BCBA or even our behavior techs don't have to worry about, right? Because they've got enough right. on their shoulders to deliver high quality ABA services. For sure. And those are not waters that we as clinicians want to get sure. into. You know, yeah. we want to try to keep that. We want to keep it separated right. between yeah. finances and, and services. Yeah. I also, what kind of jumped out at me is, is an organization this size to be really successful. We have to have people who really understand the organization in its entirety. Right. And it seems like from the experiences that you described, it adds to like maybe it's like a more holistic view of all these different inner workings, which um, to me, I'm only like three and a half months in, is quite a learning curve to understand all these different moving parts and how they work together. For sure. Completely agree. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, I, I always kind of, it's kind of funny you hear like different adages and stuff like that, but, you know, it does take a village yep. uh, sometimes. And I think with the services that we provide, that that is also very true. It's, you know, what we're what we're doing, I would never describe as easy. And each person within the organization has a role. 
to, to make to make it all work. Right. You know, I, I think with my experiences, as you stated, you know, I've seen that time and time again that, you know, each of each individual, whether it's, you know, a recruiter that um, I've worked with, an onboarding specialist, a revenue revenue cycle specialist, all of them have their own role to bring about our success as a company. How do you align the work that, you know, some of these specialists that you work with towards how their work helps support the mission of the organization? Sure. I think, you know, I think our mission is very clinically driven, which is fantastic since we're a service clinically driven organization. But one thing that I always point out to my teams is it's that last line that I mentioned earlier, it's that high quality ABA therapy and support. And a lot of times, you know, when you hear that mission statement, you kind of uh, think, oh, well, that's about like the delivery of services. But I, you know, I tend to focus my teams on the customer service aspects of that statement in regards to what I mentioned earlier about, you know, making sure that our clients are very well informed about their out-of-pocket costs and expenses. You know, when it comes to billing, if that's not done correctly, that can present a bad experience for our clients, which, you know, we do whatever we can to avoid. And so that's where I feel like the teams that I work with now have the most control over our mission is driving excellence within our teams will help further the mission because making sure that our clients have a pleasurable experience, you know, from a billing and financial perspective keeps them as clients, continues to allow us to provide services and, you know, move our mission forward. So that's really like, you know, how I see my teams kind of fitting into the mission. One of the tough parts I think about those types of roles is I think you typically hear about it when it doesn't go well, right? Like you, you don't um, often get feedback from families about like how great of an experience that was. You typically get feedback from families when that didn't. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it is a little different, right? So when you're working directly in front of a, a client of ours, I would imagine you, you can visibly see and, and you guys have a way of measuring the change, right? For yep. us, in a lot of ways, the fact that we don't hear from a family is kind of a good thing, right? Because to your point earlier, yeah. it's rare not to say that it doesn't happen that, you know, someone reaches out and just says, you know, we really appreciate, you know, this particular person and the conversation that we had and th- their ability to give us that understanding. Um, it's more or less, it's, you know, it, it tends to be, hey, you know, I have this challenge, you know, how can I, you know, work with your team to resolve? And then when it's resolved, they're moving on. So that's very true. I would say, though, I, I'm, I'm used to that. I mean, that's not unique to Centria. That, that tends to be just how that works. And I think, you know, uh, I'm comfortable in that role and, and knowing that, you know, at the same time, maybe that clinician gets all the, the praise, you know, or, 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 or is able to see that feedback. But at the same time, um, there, there's plenty of things about the clinical role that is very difficult and, and they have to really, you know, dive sure. into those things. So it's a give and take. You know, I, I do really For understand sure. that. What's a, a great day for Tom? Uh, well, I, I will tell you there it's it's harder now. You know, I'll, I'll share this with the people that are listening. Working remotely is tough on me. It's not my favorite. Like I, I, I miss the interaction with my coworkers in the office. So so that's tough. But what I would say, you know, there we still have a job to do. There's still things that we want to accomplish. You know, a really good day for me is when I have, you know, my team members 
share some kind of positive story about whether it's their, you know, their own work and being able to accomplish maybe a task that, you know, has been hanging out there for a while, maybe able to resolve a, a an account that, uh, you know, so it's really just, you know, kind of finding those, you know, individual wins and having that, you know, shared with me. And, you know, I feel a lot of my role is really just allowing that to happen, right? So like, how can I remove those obstacles for my team members to make sure that that, you know, happens as much as possible? Uh, so really, it's kind of hearing about that um, is, is, a, is a really positive and, and good day uh, for me. I find, you know, so my COVID journey here at Century was, I was about to move to Michigan and then was told, don't yeah. move. Um, so literally the, the, the moving truck was outside of my house in California. Um, and so we loaded it up and just moved it to a storage unit. And so I've, I've, I've onboarded and uh, um, all I've known is working through video chat and remotely. And the thing that uh, speaks to what your point is that, that I struggle with is remote working and this virtual type of like communication at times feels like much more transactional and you kind of lose those conversations that kind of feed what you're saying, right? Like those conversations that happen, you know, desk next to desk or office next to office to where you can like start talking about those, those victories that may not fall into an agenda of right. a meeting. Yeah. Right. For sure. And, and you know, um, I was very active, you know, Centria has uh, or had, and I, I know will continue when the time is right. Uh, a softball team. We played basketball together and the way where I, you know, I enjoy those types of activities. But what I found with that is it was, it was a way for me to interact with people outside of, you know, maybe the people that I directly, you know, worked with um, and, you know, then learn about like their, you know, role in the organization. And I just think that that's really important and something that will be uh, continually challenged with, you know, in this new environment to figure out a replacement for that, right? Like how do we, how do we fill in those yep. gaps? And uh, actually, th that's why I was really excited to do this podcast because it, it's a form of communication, right? It's a way of, you know, getting getting information out to people in, in this new environment that's, you know, very safe and, you know, it's it's not uh, time bound. You can kind of listen on your own, you know, at, at your own schedule. So I just really, you know, like the thought of that. And that's why I was, you know, really excited to participate. Awesome. Well, one, I'm a second baseman, okay. so I look forward to having right. a softball team. Yeah, um, the person that lifelong, lifelong. Yeah, you're, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to talk to a couple <laughs> people. <laughs> <laughs> lifelong catcher, um, but after nine left knee surgeries, I, I wasn't able to play catcher anymore in sure. baseball. But second base is it? Um, so, um, one thing about this podcast is we talk a little bit about the science, and so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something called stimulus control. Okay. So our, our field is applied behavior analysis. And most people, when they talk about, you know, they hear the word behavior, um, they think like what someone does is what we like we work on, right? So we work on, you know, reducing some type of problematic behavior. We work on getting them to do things. Um, but actually what we work on is something called stimulus control. For example, it's, we don't work on a kid saying, you know, I want a cookie. We work on them saying when they're hungry and there's someone around them, when I say I want a cookie, I'll get a cookie. All right. So it's not just the words that we say, it's under certain contextual 
um, environmental stimuli and that's stimulus control. So in the presence of my parent and in the contextual understanding of like, I'm hungry. If I say I want cookie, then I'll get cookie. Cause it would make no sense if we just taught a kid to say I'm cookie when he wasn't hungry or when there wasn't anyone around and that just client just walked around saying, I want cookie. I want cookie. I want cookie. That's like what people think of the behavior. It's like what that person does. But ultimately we're looking at a, a larger um, measure of what someone does. And it's called the operant. And this operant includes antecedent conditions, the response the person does, and then what happens after that called the consequence. And so very similar to, to like, and this can be applied to anything that you do, any behavior that we do. For example, the doorknob, the doorknob's a stimulus that we know that if I twist it, it opens and that's stimulus control. Um, you don't walk around just twisting your hand everywhere looking for certain things, right? It's like that stimulus has that um, history with you that you know when you open it, um, something's about to happen. It could change. And so, you know, everything that our, our clinicians do in the field is around um, developing appropriate stimulus control that goes from, you know, very simple requests to very like conversations like yourself uh, like that we're having right now. What I'm saying right now functions as a stimulus to what you would say next. Um, and we, this conversation that we're having is, is a form of appropriate stimulus control. So there you go. Very interesting. Yeah, no, I, um, I was talking with a clinician earlier in the year and we were talking about a, a wedding that I was attending. Um, and they had said that, you know, rather than have the, maybe the awkwardness of the people that weren't okay with being close to other people, they talked about, um, certain individuals that were okay or not okay wearing different colored wristbands. Yep. That's what they were saying that that would be a form as well, and it was actually just kind of that's, cool. So uh, I know I I have heard that before, and that's very interesting. Yeah, so that would be um, what's something in line with stimulus control, something called an antecedent intervention. So things you do before behavior occurs to kind of guide that behavior, okay. um, guide the individual. Um, and so yeah, that that would be a form of stimulus control that you see, you'd give this thing called a rule. You, you see somebody wearing this wristband and that means that that is a, that would um, signal that the behavior of coming closer to that person would be reinforced. And so stimulus control ultimately signals either reinforcing contingencies or punishing contingencies. So the other side of that coin would be somebody who's wearing a color that said, you know, stay away you know, that stimulus control, if you came close to that person, they might put you in some type of punishing social contingency, right? That'd right? be quite awkward. Yep. So that's a cool example. I'm glad you provided that. Yeah. You know, every once in a while, I have those conversations with clinicians and <laughs> all of them that are listening, they may not think that I listen when they're talking about that clinical stuff, but I do. I pick up on it. <laughs> Last question for you, Tom, what's your why? Like what, what, what purpose, you know, drives you professionally? No, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious for me and probably one that's a little, you know, maybe a little too predictable, but definitely I am drawn to a career in healthcare because of the services, you know, with whoever I've worked for, you know, are, are something that's in need. So um, prior to Centria, I worked for 
a durable medical equipment company in RevCycle. Really loved, you know, knowing the types of services and the, you know, the things, the devices that we provided were helping people. Uh, you know, that is no different here, although I have just, it's kind of like doubled down just because I feel really impassioned about with the clients we serve, the fact that there is a true need out there and there's so many people that could benefit from our services. So it's really, you know, it's, it's what really drives me, you know, every day to, you know, it's, we talk a lot in business and especially in RevCycle about numbers, right. And metrics. But in the end, I, I can make that correlation between, you know, Hey, yeah, it's a number, but how does that impact a child with autism to allow them to reach all their goals and dreams uh, through the services that we provide? So I think that's what definitely, you know, I know that's what definitely drives me on a consistent basis. And I, when we make those marketing videos and we, we talk about the impacts and we can see those impacts and we hear the family stories and we, you know, and the, the parents tell us that means a lot to me. And that's what drives me for sure. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you for joining me in this conversation. I really appreciate it. Appreciate the work Thanks, you do. Timothy. Yeah, you too. And um, look forward to the next time we can talk. And that concludes another episode of us telling the stories of our incredible staff and their work to support our powerful mission. Till next week, do wonders. <laughs>